This series we started last week is called The Godly Life. We can't live it. God has to live it through us. And so last week we began this study, part number one, on the godly life to look at personal duties that God gives us. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, 9 to 13 again. Last week we looked at verse 9 as we began this study on the personal duties that we have to have in our lives as we, with God's help, live the godly life. In other words, this is a life we can't do on our own. It's not humanly possible. It's only one that God can do through us. But he wants us to fulfill these obligations that we have because as I tell inmates every day at the jail, it's a privilege, it's an honor. We are ambassadors for Christ on this earth. And it's one day at a time that he wants us to live for him. And I always remind them two things that I ask them to do every morning. When you wake up, even in Pinellas County Jail, you wake up, you thank God he woke you up. That means you have a purpose today to live for the Lord. And the second thing is, what lesson do you have for me today, Lord? Help me to learn it. Help me to be aware of it. Help me to do what you want me to do today and learn what lesson I have. And the one that they never learn enough, and I don't ever learn enough, is patience. We don't really have to pray for patience because we have enough trials that come up to learn it. But while we're learning patience, we're learning to trust God. And the only way we can get through the day, because I look at the news, I hear everything going on, things going on in the Supreme Court and Congress, everywhere in our nation. If I just looked at that, who'd want to get up? Stay in bed. I mean, my land, everything's just falling apart. But God gives us that purpose to get up and to serve him and to live the godly life only as we can with his help. Again, last week we looked at, in verse 9, the personal duties that we have. We need to love unconditionally. We don't love somebody because they love us. We don't love them because they do what we tell them to do. We love them unconditionally because that's the love from God that we're to have. And that's got to come from inside. We see some people superficially, you can live it, for a while on the outside and fool people, but we can never fool God. And so you can't fake this love from God. It's His love through us. The second one we looked at was abhor, draw back, hate evil. We have evil around us. Turn on the TV, listen to the commercials, look at the programs, all the new ones I saw I advertised for the fall. You don't see a lot of God-centered programs, do you? I couldn't find one. And so we have a lot of evil around us promoting it. It's being uh, not only lived out, but promoted. So we're to abhor evil. And then we're to cling like glue to that which is good. Say, well, what is good? It's what God says is good. And we have God's Word to study and to look to. And He makes it very clear the things that are good that we need to cling to. Because when we are doing these things on a personal level, the world around us will notice and they'll watch us. 
That doesn't mean we're perfect, but that means that in our lives they will see these things going on. Now today, we're going to look at ten duties that we have toward one another within the body of Christ. What a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. We can't put any kind of a measure on that except to say, by the grace of God, I'm a member of the family of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bill Gaither, Bill and Gloria Gaither. They had an old song, and I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to share some of the words to it, called The Family of God. It says, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. And then the last verse, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. And I I think that's a good song to think about as we're looking at what God holds us accountable in our relationship with one another. What are our duties? We are wanting to live the godly life, the God-centered life. What are our responsibilities toward each other? And so join me in Romans 12. We're going to read the whole four verses, 9 through 13. I guess that's five verses. Last week... We'll read uh, what we studied last week. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Quite a list there. But these are what God, as we are living the godly life, wants us to be showing in our lives and practicing with one another. The first duty, verse part of verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Don't try to write all this down. But basically it comes down to this. First duty, show brotherly love. Toward one another. It's speaking of a, a love not based on personal attraction, but it's talking about having tender affection for our brothers in Christ. Throughout Scripture, it says that it says many times, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Have that brotherly empathy, love, caring for one another. John 13:35 says, By this All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This represents Christians as bound by a family tie. That tie is that we're all sinners saved by grace. As I was growing up, we had the opportunity to see the Passion play in, I can't even think of the, it was somewhere in Oklahoma. And I remember sitting on the hillside. I remember they had a lighted cross that everybody could see. And as they played out the passion play, they said, those who come to the Lord come to the lighted cross. We all came 
to the cross of Calvary. We accepted the gift God offered to us. He chose us, He saved us, He keeps us, and we'll have an eternity to be with Him. And that's a family tie that goes beyond all of our time here on this earth. It goes on for eternity. And that's something that will have no time limit, no warranty that expires. It's forever. And it will be with the Lord. We're adopted children of God. And so we're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 2 says, verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling for him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I think so often in our lives, God at times, and based on our being brothers and sisters in Christ, he shows us something he wants us to do. And at that time, we might say, Lord, I don't have time. I don't have the means. And, but God tugs on our heart. You know, that's God saying, do something. If you can help somebody out of compassion, out of love for that brother or sister, do it. Because those times, we don't know how many opportunities we're going to have and how many days we're going to have on this earth to, to show brotherly love toward each other. Our love for each other should live out Romans 12:15 Again, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Do we practice the kind of love that's shared in Ephesians 4:32? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Kind means to be gracious and gentle toward each other. Tender-hearted means being compassionate toward each other. The challenge of James 2, 14 to 17, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Praise God we have the benevolence fund here to help. But I know there are people who help other brothers and sisters in Christ here, not always through that, but just personally, as God moves us. Because everybody goes through hard times. Anybody never go through a hard time in life? Just smooth as can be and no challenges, no trials? I've never seen anybody raise their hand on that one. So we all know there are needs. And sometimes those needs are on a personal level. Sometimes they, they go to the elders and there's a response to it, but there's all those in between as well. And God has this rub shoulders with each other every week that maybe somebody shares a need with us and we pray about it. What do you want me to do, Lord? And then we act on it. And then we show that, that love. How many get too much encouragement? As we're talking about brotherly love, how many get encouraged way too much? They just back off. I can't take it anymore. Don't, don't, don't. Things are going too smooth and, and I don't need any more. We all need it, don't we? 
and we all can give it. So we have those opportunities. If somebody looks like they're having a rough day and there's an opportunity to say, Brother, what's going on? What can I pray for you about? And you know how many people will respond to that? Almost everybody. Because they want to share it with somebody. They're carrying the burden alone, and we're to carry each other's burdens, aren't we? That's part of the privilege we have to be in the body of Christ. So the first duty we see here in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The second duty, it says, give preference to one another in honor. Basically, prefer each other in honor. We're to regard our brothers and sisters as more important than ourselves. Now, we don't hear that in the world, do we? Who's number one? You're number one. You deserve it. Wow, you're so proud. You're like a peacock walking around with the feathers out. Look at me. Aren't I great? God says, no. You put your brothers and sisters as more important than yourselves. The word honor means respect, value. One thing I was talking with a couple of inmates this last week, I'm amazed how few people, when they're talking to you, will look you in the eye. That's changed. When I remember growing up, I was always taught you look somebody in the eye. Why? Because you value what you're saying or what they're saying. You look them in the eye. I don't know if the second thing is true, but they said if you look them in the eye, you, you can't lie. I don't know if that's true or not. But I know the first part is when somebody's talking to you and you're looking them in the eye, they know you're listening. You're valuing them. And I believe that's important. I think some of those people skills are gone, and we need to get them back, and we need to teach them. Giving honor to our family in Christ is putting our brothers and sisters before ourselves. We honor each other by showing appreciation, and we show admiration to one another, and we're not envious. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Why did that guy, man, he must have prayed really extra hard. He got that, and I didn't get it. We should be rejoicing with them, rather. Honor is used in the marriage relationship, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a warning there with that. Husbands, we should never, ever take our wives for granted, but honor them. I have to battle that all the time because I, I don't honor my wife as I should, but we need to be considered. You know one way to be considered? I've done this at the jail, and I, I see deputies going in and out, and I try to practice it with my wife. Open the door for them. That's a little thing, yes. I'll tell you, you get shocked looks <laughs> anymore. That shouldn't be. I thought that's what you did. You open the door for someone. Or wives, open the door. Go around to that side of the car door and open it. Being considerate, sensitive in regards to emotions. Men and women are wired different. Did you know that? Not all the same. <laughs> what men are looking at, you know, is a little different than women. Women have got about four things going up here. And as men, multitasking, we don't know really what that is. At least for me. I concentrate hard on one thing, get it done, then move to another. My wife's got like four things going on. 
I'm saying, what, what is that? I didn't switch. I'm still over here on number one. You're on three. So I, I got to catch up. <laughs> but we learn. We learn to do that. We learn to be sensitive with that. Protector, because women are generally not as strong as men. I were to be a protector, a companion. Are there any other ways we can honor our wives, men? Roses? Okay, roses. Listen to what they say. Back rub, okay, all right. <laughs> There's many, many ways, aren't there? And we just need to be doing it, we need to be practicing it. So we're honoring our wives, we're honoring one another within the, the body of Christ. We don't want our prayers hindered because we're dishonoring our wives. It's a command, not an option. Third duty, we go to verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence. You say, well, what does that mean? That means don't be lazy in serving each other, but be enthusiastic. Saying, God, thank you for that opportunity to help my brother and my sister. Not so we can parade it, but because we're practicing it. Scripture continually tells us, serve each other with zeal. Anybody know what zeal means? We don't use that a lot, do we? Zeal. What is it? Enthusiasm, strength, 100%, compassionate, passionate. All those are good. Zeal. I like that word. We don't use that very much, do we? Serve each other with zeal. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. We're all going to give an answer to God. We need to remember that. We need to be not lazy in serving each other. Reminder in James 2, if we can help our brothers and sisters and don't do it, it's just giving evidence of a dead faith. There's no evidence. There's nothing showing it. So We need to be enthusiastic. If we give monetarily to each other, or if we can offer services, or babysitting, getting groceries, whatever it might be. We don't have to look very far, do we? But you got to be diligent in doing it. You can't say, well, I'll wait till it floats over here, or somebody gives me a list. God gives us those reminders all the time, doesn't he? It's whether we're going to respond to them is what's so important. So be enthusiastic in serving each other, not lazy. Fourth duty in verse 11, fervent in spirit. That's our attitude. Fervent is the idea of boiling over as water boiling in a pot. Active and energetic. It's easy to be indifferent, but enthusiasm takes energy. And the Lord gives that toward each other. Example of Apollos who it says was fervent in spirit in Acts chapter 18 Another example Paul shared in Colossians 1.29, and for this purpose also I labor. It takes work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Fervency displayed in our lives toward each other as empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't empower it ourselves. It's got to be from God. It means we display persistence. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Galatians 6, 9, For in due time we shall reap 
if we do not grow weary. When we're growing weary, who do we look to for strength? To keep going. To God, to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I need your help. I'm wearing down. And does God help us? Every time. He gives us that extra boost of energy. Spiritual adrenaline is what that is. When we grow weary, we go to to God and remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you know, enthusiasm is contagious, isn't it? I've seen in the Protestant services uh, on Thursdays at the jail, I've seen all of a sudden one inmate is smiling and he says, Chaplain, I got it. And three or four all of a sudden are, yeah, I got it. Something clicked. I understand it now. I know what God wants me to do. Like the light goes on. Who turns the light on? God does. The Holy Spirit's working in us. And He turns that light on. I've seen it during Awana. Awana is starting a a week from Wednesday and continue to pray for the leaders and the kids that will be coming. But I'll I'll tell you, with the sparks, they have that energy. End of the day, I'm wore out, but I go over there and I get re-energized by those kindergartners. I mean, they're enthusiastic, and one of them gets fired up. They're all fired up. (laughs) Say, wow, you know, let's just kind of corral them here. Keep them in one area. But it's contagious. One of them gets that way. That's just how it should be here toward each other. Fifth duty. We see the last part of verse 11, serving the Lord. That has to do with a perspective, a priority. We're serving the Lord. John MacArthur shares, be consistent with God's word and be truly in his service and to his glory. As we're serving Him, we need to say, Lord, this is for You. This is for Your glory. What an honor and privilege to be serving the Lord. And as we're serving one another, we're serving Him. It means to, serving the Lord means to obey and follow Him as we serve each other. We're bond servants of Jesus Christ. If you've never read the book Slave by John MacArthur, I encourage you to get a copy. It'll take you a while to get through it. What a perspective of what it means to be a bondservant of Christ. To give up all of our saying, I want this or I deserve this, and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What does my master want me to do today? What does the Lord want me to do in this situation? And he will make it clear. Through His Word, through other believers, through prayer, God will always have an answer. Is our number one priority to serve the Lord by bringing honor and glory to His name? And if not, then it needs to change. We have to do in our lives attitude adjustments, don't we? Anybody ever have a perfect attitude every day? Wow, you know, here's another day, 100 days in a row. It's perfect. As soon as you say that, believe me, as soon as you say, wow, I've, I've seen it work out like this. Boy, today's going awfully smooth. You ever had those? Boy, it's a little bit too smooth. Something's got to come, and, and sure enough. But you know the Lord already knows that's coming. He's going to teach us something through it, but we've got to be aware. We've got to say, Lord, okay, teach me. Don't always want to learn it, but I need to learn it. 
And that's what the Lord knows. He knows what we need. Our existence as a bond slave is due to the master's will, not our own. And how do we know God's will? Well, we know we need to study, obey, follow, and apply God's word to our lives every day. Every day. And if we don't study God's word, how are we going to know what God wants us to do? It doesn't just float down. We have teachers like Pastor Steve and Joe and others who teach and open God's word, but we've got to apply it. We've got to say, Lord, okay, I hear it. I know what you're telling me to do, but now I've got to put feet to it. I've got to start practicing it. Because the world is more desperately in need of the Lord, of Jesus, more now than ever. My whole lifetime, I've never seen things going on that... I would have dreamed as I was growing up whatever happened. But you know, God's still sovereign. God's still in control. He still wants to use the church. He wants to use us for His honor and glory to bring people to Him. We can introduce them to Jesus. The sixth duty in the body of Christ, verse 12, rejoicing in hope. What is our blessed hope? Someday we're going to be with the Lord forever. We're walking on this earth, and I always love the picture of Enoch who walked with the Lord every day, and it says one day the Lord took him, he grabbed him, and he stepped right into heaven. I like that picture. And likely when they thought about Enoch, they said one thing we know about Enoch, he walked with God. We saw it every day. Enoch got in, maybe he had some rough days, I'm sure he did, but I think for the most part, he got up in the morning and said, Lord, what's on the agenda? I'm excited. What are you going to show me today? What are you going to teach me today? How are you going to help me to be more like you? And that's exciting. That's what it should be for us as well. Satan tries to get us discouraged, doesn't he? He wants us to get on the sideline and, and sit and say, wow, you know, I, this is just terrible. I don't know what I'm going to do. The Lord says, okay, let me show you what. We're going to do. Let me work in your life. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, "Our toil is not in vain, so we can remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord." Our hope in the middle of the trials and temptations is Jesus. I've told uh, inmates many times. I, I tell them. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. And I will say to them, what is your relationship with Jesus? I don't know, I guess he was a good teacher, I heard of him, he's mentioned in the Bible. He said it's not about religion, it's not keeping a code that religion has put out that you have to keep that standard and you're going to gain heaven. Because all his salvation from beginning to end is who? It's all of the Lord. It's by his grace. All of us deserve to go to hell, but by God's grace, we have been chosen, we have been saved, and we will remain saved throughout eternity. The biggest request by inmates is hope. Uh, about two months ago, I might have shared this at one time, but about two months ago I was called in on the weekend. We're on call different times. And this was a young lady who had lost her father, and they said it was minor surgery. And so when I came in and had to tell her that, 
He just burst out crying and said, oh, this can't be. It's somebody else. It, it couldn't have happened. And she looked at me as if saying, give me something to hope in. And so I had the opportunity to share who our hope is in, Jesus, with her. She didn't accept the Lord then, but you plant a seed. It's God who does it all anyway. You plant a seed when the opportunity comes. Now we come to the seventh duty toward each other. In verse 12, it says, Patient are persevering in tribulation. Patient means literally to remain under. When we are under a trial and we are going through a hard time and things look very challenging, we don't know what to do, instead of saying, Lord, deliver me out, we say, Lord, help me to walk through it. Because when we walk through it, when we see the end of that tunnel, and we see the light, Jesus' light at the end of that tunnel, and God sees us through, then when that other next brother or sister is struggling, we can say, God saw me through, He's going to see you through. And we need that encouragement, don't we? Some of those trials are very intense. Sometimes the tunnel is very dark. But the Lord has always get us through. Every time. Paul throughout his life on earth, how many challenges did he have? Peter and John, when they were ordered, don't share the gospel anymore in the book of Acts. They said, it's up to you, but if we have to choose between obeying God and obeying you, we will obey God. And so even though they were beaten, they still went out on the streets and they continued to share the gospel you think they did that because they were humanly so extra strong? They did it because the Lord was doing it through them. He said, I'm not going to back off because I know the way is through Jesus Christ. There aren't many ways. There's one way. And that's what we need to be sharing. James reminds us, let patience have its perfect work that we may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Patience has... A purpose in that it allows our faith to grow. I like to call those faith stretchers. You ever get those in your life? You know what a faith stretcher is? Our faith, let's say it's, it's like this, okay? And we get in a trial and we're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I would like an answer immediately. And the Lord says, I'm going to let you wait a few weeks because my timing is perfect and I want you to grow a little bit in your faith. As our faith grows in the Lord... The ultimate, what we want to get to, is the point where right away we turn to the Lord. Not say, Lord, well, let me try to work it out, and maybe if I get in a real jam, I'll turn to you at the last. You ever hear people say, or maybe we've said, boy, it's so bad, I think we're going to have to pray. <laughs> we should be doing right away. Because when we pray, we're commanded to pray, to let go of it, to let God work it out, to be under following God rather than us pulling God along. We can't do that. We've got to follow Him and we come by obedience to God's Word. Do we show patience in tribulation? We should. This is what is shared here. Eighth duty. Last part of verse 12. Devoted to prayer. Can we ever pray too much? God says, uh-oh, you're over it. 
John, you're over it by two minutes. I'm not listening to you anymore. There's no limit. God wants us to be praying because when we're praying, we're turning things over to Him. We're saying, Lord, I can't do it. And He says, good, let me do it through you. That's the answer we will hear. Devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 1, it says the early church, they all continued with one accord in prayer. Prayer is so critical in life. My grandfather was a prayer warrior. Every week he would get a list of prayer items from the pastor. And he would go up into his study and he would spend two and three hours at a time in prayer. And I remember I was... 12 years old, I still remember my grandfather going up to do prayer and being 12 years old, I thought I'd kind of listen to what was going on. And you know, I heard him praying for me. I thought, oh, wow, he's praying. My grandpa's praying for me. I can, he's given my name up before God. And he was praying. I pray my, my grandson, John, would someday consider the ministry. Oh, no, whoa, uh-uh, no, that, not that, anything but that. But you know, that was a seed in my heart that eventually God used and called me into the ministry. Actually, I was ordained 35 years ago. I saw that still on the wall, still kind of dusty, but 35 years ago, God ordained me into the ministry, and I've never regretted it. I love it. God's given me so many different opportunities. I just praise Him for planting the seed, God planting the seed when I was 12. How much time do we pray for each other? Do we pray for one another? Somebody gives us a prayer request and we say, okay, I'll pray for you this week. And then we have good intentions, but we don't do it. One thing I've told inmates Satan can't read our mind. He can't read our thoughts, but God can. And we can pray instantly for somebody. If we say we're going to pray for him, we're praying for him right then. So we're not going back on our word. And we pray for one another even that way. If God prompts us to help out a brother, we do it. And sometimes it's through prayer. Because God always hears. Ninth duty. End of verse 13. 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. That means help each other if we can. Contribute means to share in, fellowship, communion. We're exhorted to satisfy the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As God leads us, we respond. At some time in our lives, we all need to be willing to give and receive. I learned that when, when we moved from California to Colorado when I was off active duty, I remember coming in, we became a part of a church there in Colorado Springs, and I remember there was a, a bill we couldn't pay rent one month. And I remember an associate pastor who I still keep in contact with, Jim, said, we want to help you. And of course, that pride always can get in the way. I said, well, we'll, we'll make it somehow. He goes, John, let us help you because... We're prompted to want to help you, and if you don't allow us to, God has a blessing for doing that, and you're robbing us of that blessing. I thought, what? I never heard that before. I said, well, I don't want to be in the way of that. And so they helped us, and we're thankful for that. It was God's timing. God was prompting some to help, and they did. 
in a time of need. We all have those times. So we need to be contributing to the needs of the saints. The tenth and final duty we have, the end of verse 13, practicing hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. We're to be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout. Inns and hotels in New Testament times were scarce. And so when somebody came to visit, families had to open up their homes to brothers and sisters who were visiting. In 3 John 5-8, through 8, that's only one chapter long, John commended Gaius for showing hospitality. And we're to do it without complaining. As the Lord leads, we have room to do it. We're to show hospitality. And it can be giving of food or clothing or shelter. In those days, in the New Testament days, while they were being persecuted, if brothers and sisters didn't help, who were they to go to? We're to pursue opportunities to show this toward our brothers and sisters. Well, we went through this kind of quickly. It's a long list of duties and obligations, but what a privilege we have to be in the family of God. That God chose us, that God saved us, that God keeps us, and we'll be with Him for eternity. So rather than even duties, these are privileges I think we have within the body of Christ to live the godly life, not because of who we are, but because the world around us is headed to hell unless they accept Jesus as personal Savior. There's no middle ground. There's no halfway. There's no buying into heaven. It's through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus reminds us and says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me, period. That's it. No exceptions. And we can share that. And once we have been adopted into God's family, now we have the opportunity to share with one another. Everything we have on this earth, we're going to have to give up someday. Did you know that? No U-Hauls up in heaven. Says God, look at my, I got a 26-footer here. Oh, you got a 10-footer. That's not as good. That isn't like that there. Our souls will live eternally. That's what's at stake. That's the opportunities we have every day. But as we're sharing the gospel, we need to be encouraging and sharing this time on earth with one another by, by doing what God tells us to do here in Romans 12. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Great God and Father, thank you so much for saving us. Thank you that we're a part of your family. And thank you, Lord, that we can live for you. Help us to show what you've told us to show in our lives toward one another and on a personal level that we live the godly life so the world sees you're real because they see a glimpse of you in our lives. We do it all for you, Lord, and we just praise you for this time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.